Thank you, Lee, Melissa, two great, two great communicators, and really appreciate you coming up and uh, helping us talk about something, two things that are very important that are around the corner for all of us. Hi, hi everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. Beautiful day. Love the rain, right? All right. Okay. Uh, it's great for sleeping, uh, being a farm boy and all. So, well, uh, last Sunday we took a, Jeff did a sermon on Father's Day. Just loved sitting in the audience listening to it. He was just right on the mark with what he said. And he took that from John's Gospel that we've been in for a while now. And, um, but the, the, the Sunday before, I did a sermon from the fourth chapter in John's Gospel. And it was about a, a, this woman at a well, known by many of us, if you've read the Bible much, uh, as a woman from Samaria, a Samaritan woman. And we're going to stay in the same chapter, but we're going to be looking at a whole different, whole different subject that's related to this, to this lady. So I, I'm going I'm to begin by reading the first uh, 20 verses of this chapter, which includes uh, the verses that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And for all of us, if you were here two weeks ago, kind of remind us of what we talked about and reconnect everything. Or if you were gone, just so you'd be able to know why, why, we're where at, why we are where we are today in this fourth chapter. All right, so chapter four, John's Gospel, beginning at verse one. We read this. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Though in fact it was... Not Jesus who's baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through, uh, go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It, it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And then notice John writes in parentheses, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus all by himself. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And again, parentheses, explanation for why she said that, for, for Jews to not associate with Samaritans. So that's what she had been used to. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, and this is what we looked at two weeks ago, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him or her will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, well, you're right. You're right about that. When you say you have no husband, the fact is <clears throat> you have, you've had five husbands, and the man you, are not, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. 
her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's trying to figure out how he knew this. And, and then she said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. It's a bit fascinating, I think, that the more high-tech our world becomes, the more scientifically advanced, the more our emphasis on knowledge and intellect and information, the more all of this is true, it still hasn't diminished people's desire to know God, to be, to be in a relationship with God. It's also true that education and science and prosperity are not stopping many people from running to all kinds of cults that promise deep ecstatic experiences and, and, a, and a kind of super, supernatural inner power that, that they're longing for. And I think that perhaps a, uh, the most well-known example of this in, in our country is, is Tom Cruise and his devotion to sci Scientology. I mean, he's, got, he's a guy that everybody look at, at and you'd think he's got everything in the world that he needs. And yet, still it's true, he's looking into something that will give him more than what he has, the, the satisfaction inside of himself. I think underlying all of this is the reality that the more emphasis that's placed on what this world gives us, the more there's an emptiness in people that, that, needs, to be, that needs to be filled. Like the woman at the well, people are still searching and will always be searching for something to fill the void in their lives, a void that, a void that can only be filled by God himself. Uh, so no question about it. There's an unmistakable hunger in all of us for intimacy with the infinite. And with this hunger for intimacy, a desire to worship God. I mean, you, could, you can go to any nation and you'll find multiple places of worship with people worshiping their God or their gods in all kinds of ways. Which is one of the reasons that I find this fourth chapter of John's Gospel so relevant to our lives today. Jesus speaks to this woman about the living water. He provides a quality of life that would quench the thirst that's within her own soul. And she wants it. She wants it big time. And, and the first thing that she brings into the conversation is worship. Worship. I'm convinced that for Jesus, this is one of those conversations that had to have been so absolutely motivating for him. <laughs> Scripture doesn't even give us this woman's name, but I'm betting that the conversation that Jesus had with her that day was one of his best. One of them, once when he gets into heaven, he would talk about it and say, man, I had this conversation with this lady, and it was, it was great. And here's why. By asking about worship, she goes to the heart of what it means to have a relationship with God. And doing this, she gives us the opportunity to understand what worship is really all about. Because, because Jesus answered her question, and, and, and what he said can be summed up in one big statement. And it's, it's our takeaway today. In fact, I would say if you're if you're taking notes, and I, I would encourage you to write down a few things as we go through it this morning, what, what I'm talking about. This one you want to write 
write down. This, this is the thing uh, above everything else that I want you to remember today, and it's this statement, all right? Worship is giving God infinite value and investing all of yourself in him, okay? I'll give you time to see that. Giving God infinite value and investing all of yourself in him. I'll tell you what. You and I get this right, and it's then that we're <laughs> worshiping God. Here, here's why a sermon like this is so motivating for me to preach. It's because I realize that we all come to this thing of worship from so many different perspectives. There's, there's some of you here today, and you're still working at at, at trying to figure out what Jesus Christ and, 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 and the Bible is all about. And right now you're saying to yourself, man, Steve, I don't have a clue what worship is about. I don't even know what worship is. I, I, I just don't get it. I remember years and years ago, this guy, Tenny Brookside, who had absolute worst voice, anybody I've ever heard in my whole life, but he just sang his heart out. He didn't care what anybody thought because he, he was all about God. He, he valued God. See, uh, I don't know this for a fact. I don't know this for a fact because I haven't had a personal conversation with you about this, but it might be that it is this way for you because you're not seeing the infinite value of God. You've got God on the same level with other things that you, you could do on a Sunday morning. Or it's possible that you're focused on the small stuff, the stuff that doesn't matter to God, and, 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 and you know, and, and, and what you're really doing is you're ignoring what does matter to God, and it's, more, it's messing with your worship big time. Now, the good thing I can tell you is that you're not alone in this. People have struggled with this for years. And go back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah and see people impressed with themselves because because of all the animals that they're sacrificing to God. And, and in the first chapter, you can hear God saying, I, I don't have any pleasure in, your, in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing these meaningless offerings to me. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. I think every generation has its own version of this. Small stuff. I think small stuff in our generation is, is saying that you've got to worship God a certain way or or that you, you get focused on what people, what people are wearing, or how they look, or if they put green stuff in their hair, or you know, they got tattoos all over them, or whatever. You, 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 you get uptight about the small stuff, the stuff that doesn't matter to God one iota. <laughs> or it's possible that you're here today and worship for you is blocked because of sin in your life. Whatever that sin might be, it might be a broken relationship that needs to be restored. It, it might be some attitude or action that you're hanging on to that needs to be corrected. Wherever you're at with worship right now, today, I'm convinced that what Jesus said to this woman by well years ago can make a significant difference in your life. So, big takeaway and two points that Jesus gave to it. But first of all, I want to make sure we get it. Worship is giving God infinite value and investing all of yourself in him. So two points Jesus made. First of all, the truth about God. 
and second, the matter of the heart. And we're going to begin with the first part of our Lord's answer, the truth about God. So the woman said what she said in verses 19 and 20, which was really a question. And I read that. And Jesus answers her beginning in verse 21. And this is what he said. Believe me, woman, the time's coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, uh, do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The key verse here is verse 23, where Jesus said, a time is coming, it's now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This verse is the core of the answer that Jesus gave to her question, and there's two key words in it, all right? The word spirit and the word truth. And we're going to begin with the second word, the word truth. Truth here is truth about God. It's truth about God. And what Jesus is saying is that for any one of us to be a true worshiper of God, we must... We must worship God in the knowledge of who God is and allow this truth to impact our lives, all of our lives. I, I love reading. Uh, I mean, I've really kind of fallen in love with this fourth chapter. I've been in it so much for the last several weeks. And I, I love it for several reasons. One of those reasons is seeing this woman discover who Jesus, who, you know, who she's actually speaking with. She, she goes from seeing Jesus as a nice guy to a prophet to God himself. I mean, I, I wish I could have seen the look on her face when Jesus said, I'm he, I'm the one. You know, I imagine her thinking to herself, is it possible? Is it, is it really possible that this is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God? You see, I'm convinced she, she did believe it was possible. And knowing who Jesus Christ is made all the difference in her life. And, and we're going to actually come back to that next Sunday. And the last time we're going to look at this lady next Sunday. Well, what I'd like us to see today is the extent to which knowing the truth of who God is defines our worship, your worship, my worship. It actually can define our entire lives. And so saying it again, the main point of today's message is, if you haven't written it down yet, I'd say write it down. Worship is giving God infinite value and investing all of yourself in him. Ten times the word worship is used in, I don't know if you counted that, but actually ten times it's used in one form or another in these verses. And the, the Greek word, the literal Greek word for worship, the word Jesus uses in this passage, what, what it literally means is, and again, I'd say write this down, it's to recognize someone or something of superior value. Right? That's the Greek word. To recognize someone or something 
of superior value. The English word, the English word worship, is right in line with this Greek word because the word worship today is a shortened version of that old English word worship. Now notice, notice that it's W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. So let's talk about worship. Okay, worship. When we think of worship, most often we think we we. We narrow way down. We, we simply think of going to church on Sunday morning, but worship is something we do constantly. We're doing it all the time, whether we realize it or not. We're, we're always evaluating the worth of something to determine what we should invest in it, whether, whether uh, it, it, it's our time or, or our abilities or our, our emotional energy or finances, whatever it might be, we're we're always trying to decide, is it really worth the investment of that in it? Now, let me illustrate it this way. Becky's mom, Norma, recently sold the farm that she and Beck's dad, Orville, had farmed for 65 years together. I think that alone is amazing. 65 years, you know, these two people farming this farm. Norma, my mother-in-law, it's one very remarkable lady. That's why I've got such an incredible wife. One of the reasons, okay? In fact, I said, first service I said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Becky told me after first service, everybody's calling her apple now, you know? Uh, first time I've ever described Becky as an, as a, as an apple, all right? But, but, but get this, I want, Norma is now 87 years old. Not long from now, she's going to be 88. And next month, she's flying to Seattle to attend the wedding of her grandson. Absolute first time in her life she's ever walked through the doors into an airplane. I, I don't know, that impresses me. I mean, she's, she's the lady when she learned how to text last year with her phone, her, her new smartphone, the son who sh showed her how to do it, texted her the next day to make sure she was getting it, and she said, I can't text now, I'm driving. You know, <laughs> I mean, this lady is cool, all right? So one of the things that she did this, this, uh, this last year, this year actually, on April 20th, uh, two days after my birthday, which is April 18th in case you wanted to know. But anyway, so, so here, here's what she did, okay? She invited all of her grandchildren to the farm on the same day to choose what they'd like to keep from, their, from that house. I mean, I gotta tell you, there are a lot of very treasured, special memories in that house. And many of them, you know, are represented by the things that she had around that house. And so on April 20, we're all at the farm. This was her time with the grandkids. She had them draw numbers to determine, you know, who would go first and second and third and, you know, all the way, way down. I mean, she was having a blast with this. Now imagine, okay? And now you got to really put on your, you know, stay with me on this. Really stay with me. Imagine, okay? Use your imagination. In fact, I just got to tell you, I had somebody say to me after first service, that's what, that really happened. They, I guess a lot of people believe this was true, this next part. Okay, it's true we were at the farm, but what I'm about to tell you, I'm making this up, okay, just so you know, all right? 
Now imagine if in all of this stuff there, there were a few pieces of jewelry that Norma did, hadn't worn in years and she didn't think that she would wear them anymore. And let's say that our daughter Nikki chose one of those pieces. Nikki's into vintage, okay? She likes vintage. And so she, she saw a piece of jewelry she thought she'd really like to wear. And so when her turn came, she picked that piece of jewelry. And she goes back to Seattle and she kind of throws it in with all her other jewelry. And the next time she's out with some friends, she wears it, and they like it. So much so that one of her friends wonders out loud, you know, Becky, I, I think maybe that jewelry is worth more than your, your grandmother realized than you realized. I think you should take it to a jeweler and have it appraised. And so Nikki does. She does that. She takes it to the jeweler, and he, and he says, I'll call you after I've finished, you know, really finding out what this is worth. And within a week, she gets a call from this guy, and he is like excited over the top. And he says to her, now, imaginations, okay? He says to her, this piece of jewelry is unbelievably valuable. Not only is each jewel extremely valuable, this is a work of a craftsman who lived in the 17th century who, whose works are, are very rare and very valuable. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, what happens to Nikki? Well, I'll tell you. Her entire attitude toward that piece of jewelry changes. Listen, my attitude changes. Nikki says to me, do you think I should give it back to Grandma? And I say, no way. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, you know? You know? I mean, really? Now, remember, it's a story, okay? It's a story. That's what really scares me about first service. Okay, so now, seriously, Nikki's attitude changes big time. As much as she liked it when she chose it, now she values it in a whole new way. Here, she and and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't just admire it. But she begins to think of the implications of its value for her entire life. She she realizes that it's going to have a huge impact. All of it very positive, and not only will her attitude change, her behavior changes. There's nothing casual in how she treats it. No more throwing it in with the other jewelry. No way. It's, it's going into a bank vault, you know? And, and in fact, when the jeweler tells her that if she makes a few repairs that it needs, it's going to double in value. I mean, she doesn't even hesitate. She doesn't even blink her eye, you know, to, I mean, even, and, Imagination, even when it means that the only person who can make the repairs is a jeweler in Switzerland. It's going to cost her several thousand dollars. None of that bothers her for a minute. She's eager to make this investment. After all, what's a few thousand dollars up against hundreds of thousands of dollars? Listen, everyone. This is worth-ship. The jeweler has led my daughter into worship. He's shown her the value of something and how this value should impact what she does with it in her own life. He's convinced her that it's worth a major investment of herself in it. To worship God. To worship God means that you take this dynamic of worship. 
The only difference being that instead of giving God high value, you give God infinite value, and instead of investing more, you invest absolutely everything in it. Look at Isaiah in chapter 6 of that Old Testament book. He walks into the temple. He sees the Lord in his own words, seated on the throne, high and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. And for the first time, he grasped the greatness of God. What does that mean? It means he worshiped. He always knew that God was great, but now he finally sees how great God really is, the worth of God, and he falls down. And look at the change in him. As soon as this happens, and it's right from Scripture, God said, I have a job that needs to be done. I need someone to do a job. I need someone to go, communicate, preach to a group of people, not one of which will ever listen to you. And what does Isaiah do? He volunteers. Why? Because, you see, when he's worshiping God, he says this, when I see God, the worth of who you are, to give you anything less than all that I am and all that I have, God, that, that just makes no sense of all. It's a crucifixion of intelligence. And he said, God, I'm going to put every bit of me into you because I know, God, you're worth all of it. You're God, you're worth everything. You're worth all of myself. Or look at Stephen in the New Testament. One of the leaders of the early church, and in Acts chapter 7, he's about to be executed by the religious leaders of the day, and he's standing there, and, and they're ready to throw, throw stones at him. And he began to worship. And they asked him if he had any final words, and this is what he said. He said, I see heaven open." And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What was he doing? He was worshiping. And at that moment, the only thing that God was asking of him was his life, that he would die. You know why Stephen faced death with courage? Because at that moment, he got his sense of proportion. He realized that what he was asked to give his life was really something very small when it was put up against the infinite worth of God. If someone comes up to you and asks you if you'd like to buy a piece of gum, you'd ask how much, right? How much for that piece of gum? And if they said to you, $10, you'd think, boy, they're weird. You think I'm going to give them 10 bucks for, for a piece of gum? In light of the worth, uh, 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 the worth of the gum, $10 is an enormous sum. Someone tries to sell you a, a piece of gum for $10, and suddenly $10 looks huge. And here comes someone else. What, what a coincidence. And he says to you, I'll sell you this Range Rover. And you say to him, how much? And he says, $10. And you say, oh, boy, I don't know. <laughs> no, you don't. You go, before he can change his mind, here's $10, right? What happened? <laughs> $10 is $10, right? No, it's not. It depends. 
Is it a piece of gum or is it a Range Rover? $10 is not $10. $10 and what it means to you and how easy it is for you to give it up depends completely on the worth of the object in front of you. See, it's all about having the right sense of proportion. Measuring the value of something up against something far more valuable and letting this impact who you are and what you do. That's worship. That's worship. Worship is giving God infinite value and investing all of yourself in him. Which brings us back to verse 23 and the, and the second answer Jesus gave to her question about worship where he, he spoke to the matter of the heart. And, and so she said to him in verse 20, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place to worship, where we must worship, is in Jerusalem. The mountain she's referring to is Mount Jerusalem. The Samaritans picked it as the right place to worship for two reasons. Number one, it was close to the place Abraham first built an altar to God. Number two, it was on this mountain that they first proclaimed the blessings of obedience to God's command. And so you see, for centuries there had been this debate between Jews and, and, and the Samaritans. One saying, oh, it's on this mountain. The other saying, no, it's in Jerusalem we worship God. So her question was, was about where to worship, where to worship. And Jesus shows that worship isn't a matter of where. It's a matter of the heart. Which brings us to this second key word in verse 23, the word spirit. Again, Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. By spirit, Jesus is pointing to the human spirit, to the heart. And what he's saying is that worship must be from the heart. It's not where you worship or what you do in worship. It's what's going on inside of your heart, your heart. And, and it all begins with our humility and our brokenness before God. David nailed it in Psalm 51 when he wrote this. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifice God desires to worship is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So powerful. It makes all the difference in your worship. Here, here on Sunday morning at, at, at every point during the week, whether you have a humility and a brokenness before God. And it continues with our humility and our brokenness before each other. Before each other. Jeff Dart, the other guy who preaches times, most of the time when I don't preach, Jeff Dart, we have not had a bump in our relationship in all 10 plus years that he's been on staff at Brookside. We ran into a big bump this last week, and it wasn't me finding out that he's a, been a closet Miami Heat fan, all right? <laughs> it's not that. It's something serious and real. 
We were pretty darn ticked off at each other. Okay? And I got to tell you, it messed with my worship big time. It messed with my relationship with God big time. I care for Jeff so much, I can't even put it into words. And until I sent Jeff a text last night saying to him, I'm sorry, Jeff, there wasn't a part of me that was ready for worship today. Not a part of me. So let me ask you, let me ask you the hard question. Do you have anybody in your life right now you need to go to and you need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Do you, do you have anybody, a relationship with someone that you need to do something to restore that relationship? No. You might, you know, you might be <laughs> saying to yourself, right, well, I wonder what that was, you know. Not a chance in the world you're going to find out, okay? <laughs> All right. Or it might be that you've been all locked up and twisted out of shape over small stuff, small stuff that doesn't matter to God. You've got your own bulls and your own goats and your own lambs that you're so proud of that mean nothing to God. And all I can say to you, friend, is give them up. Give them up. They're messing with your worship. And, and you know what? You hanging on to that kind of small stuff, not only is it going to mess with your worship, it's going to mess with the worship of people around you, people who know you closely. Most important of all, it's going to mess with the worship of your children. It might be that worship for you is hit and miss. Take it or leave it. That kind of thing. You've got worshiping God on the same level with other things you can do on a Sunday morning. And I, this is, you know me, okay? I'm just speaking to you from my heart here. That's why I get so concerned about sports these days. I just wonder what's going to happen to your generation of children. I mean, we're, like, you can be gone parents Sunday after Sunday with your children, and it's all for sports, and I just go like... Man, what's missing here? No. Or when you come here, you're half-hearted about your worship. I, I don't get that. You know, like, why is it possible on a Saturday to be screaming your lungs out at a Nebraska football game and coming here on a Sunday morning and just kind of sitting there silent? You know, and I think it's got, there's no excuse, really. You can't say, well, I've got an awful voice. I can remember a guy years ago at our church when we were a lot smaller. He had the worst voice of anybody I've ever heard in my life. But I tell you what, he just sang his heart out, and I loved it. I loved it. You hear what I'm saying, everybody? You know. You see, for all of us today, it's really true. Worship is giving God infinite value. Infinite value. That, you know, that's, I'm, I'll, I'll even say this, that's why I, I have a hard time understanding how do you show up late for somebody of infinite value? You know? Sunday after Sunday. We're 10 minutes into worship. 15 minutes into worship. And you're walking through the door. I go like, 
well, you know, you know what that says to me when I'm going to meet somebody for something and they always show up late? You know what that says to me? It says, boy, they don't really value me that much. Worship is giving God infinite value and investing all of yourself in him. It begins in the heart and it flows out of the life they live. So this is what each one of us have got to do. We've got to take an honest look into our hearts. You see, is there anything that's more valuable to you and God that's really at the center of your heart? Because if there is, that's what you're worshiping. That's what you're worshiping. That's what you need to deal with. Finally, if you're here today and you're still undecided about Jesus Christ and you, you said right away at the beginning, I don't even know what worship is all about. You know, you know what I wanted to say to you this morning? Boy, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to me today. That just means so much that you're do, willing to do that. And I want to I encourage you to keep on asking the important questions about Jesus Christ, you know. And, 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 and you know... And, and if there's anything that I can do, or any one of our staff, I want to tell you, you just call me and I'll drop whatever I'm doing if you want to have a conversation about this. See, we'd love to help you understand why we're convinced that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, infinite in value, and totally, totally, totally worth investing all of your life. Let's pray. You want to stand with me? Because we're going to worship now for a bit. Okay? And uh, let's pray. Let's pray. You all pray with me, okay? Father, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just help us just grasp better, better all the time how infinitely worthy you are and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to invest all of ourselves in you for your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.